I want to tell you about my girls this morning, my, my two, my daughters. We're now at the point when we say our girls, we, I have to seek a little clarification. Are you talking about our daughters or our granddaughters? Because we have two sets of girls now, right? When the girls come over and play, it's not my daughters anymore. It's my granddaughters. Um, but my daughters, one of them, our birth daughter, the oldest one, is very, very shy. Slow to warm up, the quiet one, you know. And, and, and she would swear as an adult that she wasn't really quiet. She just took a while to warm up, and, um, and you know, that, that's, all, that's all good and fine. And the other one, we, we adopted her when she was four years old out of foster care. Um, she joyfully lives out the motto, a stranger is only a person you've never met yet. She's just out there, just out there. No shyness, no fear, no... So we have these two girls, and they're just radically, radically different. Um, play dates, first day of school. I'll, I'll do the first day of school. Uh, the older one clinging to mommy's leg, tears. I don't know if Diane had more tears than Amanda. It was just, it was just a blobber fest. Um, and, and, that's just, and, and it was just this horrible, long separation. And, and then the second one, Diane, I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing this. She's getting teared up, and she looks around. The kid's gone, right? Like you see in the commercials or the cartoons where the cartoon character races off, there's a little cloud of smoke. That's Brittany, Right? No, no glance back. Hi, bye, Bob. I love you. Nothing. Nothing. Like she's gone. And like, you don't need to come back, Mom. I'm good to go. And, and, and that one hurt a little bit, right? That, that one, you know, if she'd come back, you know, at, 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 at some point during the day even for a little bit of, of, of emotional therapy or some direction or guidance or something, but n- nothing. Nothing. She's just... Good luck, world. Here comes Brittany. So, so we have these two girls, very, very, very different. Um, and, and again, that, that second one, it hurts when they don't at least glance back or check back in with you, you know, kind of fill up with a little mommy love, little daddy love. They fall down. Only mommy can kiss the knee. Nobody in the whole world can kiss a knee and make it better. You know, the second one, zip. You know, and ideally, we, we want the right balance in our kids, right? We want that right balance between confidence and, and dependence. We don't want them shooting off and, and knowing that they're only 18, 19 years old, thinking they own the world. They, they do anyway, but we, we shouldn't feed into that because it's not true. Don't tell them that. But it's, we know it's not true. They have a lot of learning to do. Um, the goal is a confident kid. To a certain degree, I mean, we the, for for us Christians, we want a holy kid. We, I mean, there's a lot of other things, but but in in this context, the goal is a confident child, ready to explore new ideas, different experiences, life-changing friendships, but also strong enough to say no to unsafe, you know, people and so forth. And this is kind of what we're trying to do as we raise our as our we raise our kids, and we lean a little bit toward helicopter parenting, and some folks lean a little bit toward like what my parents did; they just locked us out of the house. And no, I'm not kidding you. That's what my dad would do when my mom would go off somewhere and, and he would just lock the doors. And we, that's just the way it was. It's a little weird now as I talk about it, but that's the way it was. Um, so we want these really, really confident kids, but we also have, we want that child to come back and seek our guidance, seek our wisdom, seek to be filled up with our love, seek to remember who they are, I, I guess is the way I want to say it. Um, so that they don't get so far out there that they forget from where they came from. I, I, 
I think I'm, I got that um, good. Um, kind, of, kind of we want them to come by and get a drive-by kiss. So just kind of that, that phrase jumped into my head this week. Um, it just, it, it, I think it does something for the kid, but it also does something for mom and dad, right? Because the child didn't forget them. And it's like, oh, you know, they came by just for a quick kiss, and then, then they're off again to tackle the world. And at that, but that moment, as a mom and dad, it's like, oh, how come the other one won't do that? <laughs> Why don't they both do that? The problem for our, our girls, one of them was so shy that we had to use the other one. <laughs> Maybe you've done this too. So we have the first one, and she's, she just, you know, go, go up to the waitress stand and grab a sugar packet. No. <laughs> Walk six steps and pick up that napkin. No. She's just so afraid. And so the younger one, we quickly figured out if we sent the older one on the task, the younger one on the task, the one that has no fear, well, then the older one, she had to level up. She just, you know, she couldn't just stay where she was, so she would suddenly, no, fine, I'll go get it. Okay. <laughs> Don't get mad. That was our plan all along. But it, it worked really, really well. It kind of brought Amanda, you know, the, the little one brought the older one out of her shell. And, and, and I just, you know, thinking about this and, and, and people, right? I, I, you just arrive at a, a book Reuben Welch wrote. Uh, he was a professor at Point Loma. We really do need each other. I'm fairly certain that was the name of the book. Um, and not just from a, a personality perspective, you know, extroverts helping introverts, because that's basically what our two daughters are. One's an extrovert, one's an introvert. Um, it, it's not just that we need each other in that respect, but I, I think we, we need each other because a lot of us are just knuckleheads. We, we need additional guidance or we're going to go off and do something really, really dumb. I, I'm okay with recognizing this in myself. I need the body of Christ around me to help make good decisions. Otherwise, I, I need my wife. I need my daughters. I mean, I, I need God's people around me or I just tend to be a knucklehead. I, I, it's not on purpose. I just don't, I, I don't know. Let's, we'll just stop on that one anyway. So we, we, we are image bearers, and as bearers of the image of God, God is a relational being, so, so the way we need each other and the way we help each other and the way we lift each other up and the way we're better together um, really is a reflection of our Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are relational, and when we love one another, we reflect that relational nature of the triune God. We are image bearers, and we kind of got to keep it in our minds that as image bearers, we're bearing the image of a triune God, a relational God that loves, that never stops loving. This is going to be crucial as I work my way into this message here. Um, now, now, here's the crazy thing. We, we really do need each other. We're, we really are better together. But not even being together as one, and that's a phrase I pulled straight out of God's Word, not even, not even being together as one is enough, right? Our, our unity, that, that, that's not enough. Crazy as it might seem, I mean, the whole world preaches, right? If you have your family or if you have your team or if you have your, your group, your tribe, your whatever, you're good to go, but that's really not true. So we're going to find out. This morning. And I think Jesus had all these things in mind. These, he's looking at his disciples. Some of them are introverted. Some of them are extroverted. Some of them are just knuckleheads. Some of them are uh, they, just this whole range of humanity. And he's, he's got to be thinking, okay, my, my time is limited now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my message with, 
with this crowd, they, they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper sack. That was my dad's favorite phrase. They, they just, they, they don't, they're, they're just not getting it. And time is really short now. So in, in, in the book of John, in chapter 17, actually starts a little bit earlier than that, 15, 16, he's just this, this, these long prayer discourses of Jesus. And I want, to, I want to focus on chapter 17 because it really does focus on us, his disciples. Um, he starts out his prayer praying for himself, um, and that we're going to find out for very good reason. And then he prays for us, and, and, and eventually he prays for everyone who will hear from the disciples. He prays for the disciples, and he hear, prays for us because we'll hear from the disciples and, and, and we'll enjoy the, the fruit of their labors. Um, but, but I think he had all these, mind, all these things in his mind as he prayed throughout chapter 17. It's, if you look really closely and you just kind of hang out with that chapter 17, it's like, a, it's like Jesus is a parent and, and he's just praying for his kids. And, and he knows his kids don't always get along. He knows they're radically different personalities and he's like, how are they going to make it without me? And so his prayer just, his, his prayer nails it. His, we're going to look at that, his prayer. So first of all, I'm going to start chapter 17, uh, the book of John. I'm going to start in verse 1. First of all, Jesus prays for himself. He says this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be, may glorify you. So th that's a weird phrase. Um, what he's basically saying is let's show the world that, that we're one. Right, that, that whatever I'm doing, you told me to do, right? And I agreed to do it. Um, everything you said, um, I said. I didn't say anything that you didn't say. Um, I am you. And it was absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial that the people see Jesus as God. Jesus makes, I mean, as you read through his prayers, he just kind of reiterates this over and over and over again. As I am in you and you are in me and, and everything that you have, I have, and everything I have, you have. And, and, he, and he's just, he's, he's screaming loudly to his audience who would read the book of John. God and I are one. And why is this so crucial? Why is this so incredibly important? Because the people would not believe Jesus if he was simply a messenger, because messengers get the message wrong. Messengers are human. But if this messenger claims to be God, well, that's totally different, right? Because God can't mis-message himself. Like, oh, I forgot. I, well, people who know me, I guess you can't do that. But God doesn't do that, right? He remembers what he said. And again, a messenger can't bring life. So for Jesus, it's absolutely crucial that the people see him as God. And that's his opening prayer, that, that the people would see him. And there's a reason why he wanted them to see God the Father and God the Son as identical. What, that reason. So the message would be believed, right? The message that God loves you. And, and he, he does, has nothing but love for you. And he wants to be reconciled to you. And, but if you don't believe that Jesus is the messenger, then the message gets disbelieved. Disbelieved, I guess. So the Jewish people understood that life belonged to God and that real life would be restored in the age to come. They just kind of had to make that leap to understanding that in Jesus was the life of God that they were currently waiting for in the age to come. 
This is what blew away the disciples. This, is, this was them being surprised by hope. It's not just that they get to one day be resurrected. They all knew that one day everybody would get resurrected. But this Jesus fellow was saying, look, you can be literally resurrected to eternal life right now before you die when you are filled with the life of God. That's what eternal life's all about is being filled with life. And God is life. So they understood this, that life belongs to God and that they would have real life in the age to come. But Jesus was saying that, now, got to listen carefully now. He didn't say, I'm bringing you life. Like, here's a gift. Here you go. Good luck with the gift. The instructions are inside. That's not what he said. He said, I'm the gift. It's not, it's, there's nothing I can give you. The only thing I'm going to give you is me. Because I have God's life in me, and when you have me in you, you have life. Again, it's not a present, not something I can pass on to you, a secret. I'm giving you myself, is what Jesus is saying. Verse 2 and 3, for you granted him authority. He's, talk, he's talking to his heavenly father in the third, kind of third, he's, he's the he, Jesus is the he in this passage. For you granted me authority over all people that I might give eternal life to those you have given me. Given, I'm changing all the pronouns. He's talking to God here because he's praying, right? Follow me. Now, this is eternal life. Now, this is the kicker here. This is eternal life, not life forever, not life without time, not, not, none of those things, not a hedonistic playground where every single one of us gets kind of, I, I know this is in the back of some of our minds. It wasn't in my mind forever. My, I have my own personal heaven. Y'all aren't there because y'all don't like skateboarding. So, <laughs> right? But that's the way we get. We make our heaven into our private little hedonistic little party affair. And, and if you really think about it, how many other people are going to want to be there? I, my wife doesn't want to hang out at a skate park, I promise you. So, heaven's got to be a little bit... We, we might be on the wrong track on this kind of this view of heaven. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. Now, there was an old joke when I was a kid, so I'm just going to say this very carefully. To, oh, they knew somebody biblically. Oh, okay. So there's a little bit of sexual context there, it, meaning really more, if we look at the whole context of the Bible, an, an incredible intimacy. But there is this idea in this language that John is using here. Eternal life is intimacy with God, that God is in you and you're in God, and, 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 and through God being in you, you have life. Without the intimacy, without the relationship, you don't have life. You're a, a walking dead man, walking dead woman. But when he enters you, what was once dead is now life. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is, is to step in and join that dance we call the perichoresis, right? The, the dance of the Trinity. Theologians came up with this term, I don't know how long ago, but just this word picture of God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, how they relate in this twirling dance that, that, that all the movements, there's no way in the world that they're waiting for each other. I mean, they just, they know each other so perfectly that it's a blur, this dance. And what Jesus is saying here through the words of John 
is that if we want life, we join the dance. We don't get the present. We don't take away something. We don't go off to heaven, but we join in the relationship that is God. That's where life is. That's where eternal, that's life abundant. To fully be image bearers. Again, it's not a place you go, it's a relationship you join. Let me keep reading verses 4 and 5. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So what is all this glory? What's he, what's he talking about? What's this thing that he's got to finish? It's the cross. It's the cross. He's got to finish the task. This is what he was sanctified for, to finish this task. Imagine if he didn't finish the task then we would all look at God and say, so there is a limit to your love. It stops there when it's your son. But by finishing the task, we can now look at God and say, there's nothing, nothing that you won't hold back. There's no limit to the love that you have for us. Jesus had to finish his task for us to know that and for us to understand that. And so he went to the cross. That's his glory. Jesus is the very image of God. So having prayed that God, the truth of God's revealing, his, his reconciling love um, would be seen in him. So this is what Jesus is praying these first five verses, that the, the, that the world would see that um, he is God, and therefore the message he's giving them is actually from God. So that's his prayer. Now he's going to move on to the prayer to the disciples, and it's going to be nearly identical his prayer for us is that we will be believed. As you go through chapter 17, at first you don't arrive at that conclusion, but as you kind of dig in it, he's, he's talking about four different things, but all of them drive toward will we be believed when we go out into that world and says God loves you? Because if we're not believed, we're going to go out into that world and say God loves you, and they're going to say, well, you don't love each other. <laughs> something's, something's disconnecting here. The whole point of chapter 17 is that the world would believe witnesses, us. First, the, first Jesus, then the disciples, then us. Let me, let me jump right in. This is uh, verse 11. The, the three things he, he prays, he's, he's going to pray for four things for the disciples. And it's a rather long chapter, so I'm going to kind of hop, skip, and a jump here. Um, verse 11, chapter 17. Holy Father, protect them from, by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So that, now I got two things going on there, but I only want to talk about that first one. Protect them from the, with the power of your name. One of the first things that Jesus prayed for was protection. Right, protection. And we pick up this again in verse 15 and 16. It says this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, for they are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Protection from the evil one. That, that was a big deal, right, for, for Jesus. Um, there's no speculation as to what the source was, who, who caused what, was it, you know, God allowed, none of that. They, they, they didn't care. They just know that evil exists in their world. And they deal with it rather directly, right? Pray for protection. From... Now, Jesus could have prayed. He could very well have prayed that, Jesus would, that God would just snuff out evil in the new believers' lives. We all kind of hope for that. And sometimes we accidentally tell people that. Well, if you follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. <laughs> don't, don't tell people that because that's not true. That's simply not true. A lot of their self-inflicted pain can be limited, but this world is a broken world, and they're going to experience pain. They, they, they just are. 
Um, so he could have prayed, hey, just snuff out evil in their life, Father. As long as they believe in you, boom. But, but you understand what that means, what the, what the end product is there's no relationship anymore. There's no longer a love relationship. It's a, you'll scratch my back as long as, you scratch my back as long as I scratch yours. Now it's an exchange. Remember last week, the, the, the crippled man, he's just like, well, just, just fix my legs and I'm out of here. I really don't want to hang out with you. I don't, you don't, <laughs> just fix my legs and I'm good to go. Well, he was wrong. He was wrong. Just fix me. Don't really need you. Don't care to be around you. Just, just fix me. And then in this very passage, a second thing that Jesus prays for, and we saw it in, in previously in, in verse 11, um, he doesn't pray for something. He, he, he doesn't pray something. You notice he doesn't pray to take them out of the world. As dangerous as the world is, his prayer isn't to remove them from the world, it, it, but it's to pull them out from the world, dust them off, clean them up, and send them back into the world ready and equipped. Um, it said, my, my, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, um, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Again, not to be taken out of the world, but be, to be victorious in the world. Um, again, throughout the Bible, God's people have had a horrible time with this. You know, very, very beginning, God says, spread around, you know, go across the face of the earth and multiply and, and spread my name basically. What'd they say? Yeah, we don't want to spread your name. We want to make a name for ourselves because that's all too dangerous. The world's a scary place. We're just going to build this walled city and we're going to build our name for ourselves. Like every time God asks the people, go out into the world. And I know it's scary and I know it's filled with wolves, but if you do, you'll glorify me. Your option is to stay in your ivory towers. And, and, and make sure that nobody lied that week, nobody cussed, nobody told a dirty joke, and then calling ourselves good to go, we're holy. Not really. Not really. Jesus could have prayed that God would do the work while we just stay out of the way and watch from the safety of the bleachers. Jesus could have prayed that. Right, accept Jesus, trust Jesus, and then get out of his way. Because by trusting him, he'll do everything that needs to be done. You just, you just stay on your knees and you don't need to do anything. That's not the prayer he prayed. He said, don't take them out of the world. Put them into the thick of the action because I'll be protecting them. So it's not as dangerous as you might think. But again, once again, it would make a, the relationship rather pointless, Right? Why have a relationship um, if God's just going to do all the work himself? I don't even need to check in with him. He certainly doesn't need to check in with me. So suddenly I don't have a relationship with my Heavenly Father because he's out there busy doing all the work, and I'm playing Sudoku, you know, whatever's on my computer. So then the prayer that I, I think a lot of people miss the point of this third prayer that he prays. This is John 17, verses 20 and 21. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is a prayer, uh, again, of, of unity. And again, why is it so important that the world see us as one? 
Why was it so important that Jesus insisted that the Jewish people see him as one with God? What is this big deal that we have to have unity? Is it just like, I mean, what's the point of it? Let me continue. Here's the point of it. Watch, the, watch where I highlighted. May they also believe in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see a kind of a cascading series from God to the disciples from God to Jesus to the disciples to the world, right? Get that message out, and, it's got, and the messenger's got to be believed. This is why he's praying for our unity, so that when people look at us and we start talking about love, they'll say, those people, you can believe them because they are a people of love. Do you know the things that they're doing in the city of Richland? Do you know the things that they're about? Do you know how they're spending their money? That church is about love, and if they're talking God is love, you need to listen to them because they know what they're talking about. And then there are other churches that they would say the exact opposite. They're mean and they're crazy and they're talking about love. I don't know. I think they got mixed up somewhere along the way. The unity of the disciples, right? Unity is the sign that it's all possible. I did a wedding last night and I reminded Chris and AJ that the world is going to watch their union because amongst human beings, there's no two greater differences in the world of human beings than male and female. And if they can get along, then it's possible. And I told them, you're not going to make it unless you have a third strand in your marriage, unless you have the Holy Spirit there also. That's the only way that the world's going to look and go, you know what? It is possible. I can be married for life. I can love my enemy. Oh, that didn't go well together, but you got the idea. I'm sorry, that was not on purpose. Focus on my notes. We are the image of God in the world. And again, Jesus could have prayed for this army of ones, right? All, made all of us like super Christians. Forget the clay vessel. Make us out of stainless titanium steel, right? And then send us out. And again, what would be the point of the relationship? I mean, if we were Marvel superhero Christians, no need to go back to God and check in. We can do it all ourselves because he created us to do it all ourselves. Right? His prayers are just, just amazing. And then the most important part of the prayer, this is the one that makes all the other parts of the prayer work. Verses 17 through 19, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So that's a whole lot of sanctification going on there. So let's just look very quickly at what sanctification means. Um, amplified version, if you ever have an amplified version of the Bible, it will give you a whole bunch of words that translators have used, maybe in the past, some of them still use. So it's I find it better than a dictionary. Um, it, 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 it's the theologian's dictionary, the amplified version of the Bible. But anyway, sanctify them, purify, uh, consecrate, make them holy. That was the big one for a long time. That's the way the King James um, translated that word, uh, make them holy. Uh, set them apart for yourself. So in verses 17 and 19 through 19, um, Jesus has set himself apart for God's redemptive plans and purposes that God prepared for him in advance to do so that, and this is the kicker in the passage, 
Jesus sanctifies his work so he completes his work so that we can then complete our work, right? We can't do his work. He had to complete his work. And then when he's completed his work that God gave him to do, that he set himself apart for, he sanctified himself, right? We just read that. He set himself apart for God's work. And because he was able to do that, we now can set ourselves apart and do the work of God, no matter how scary it is, no matter how shy you are, no matter how big a knucklehead you are. This Bible says that we can do it because we have something. And I'm about to get to that right here, this, this, this sanctify. What, what exactly, you know, set apart, but, but there's, there's so much more to it than that. Now, here's the tragic thing. <clears throat> Traditionally... Many churches have gone down this road. The Nazarene church has gone down this road. I'll just say it. The Methodist church before it, the Anglican church before it. I mean, we kind of all did this. Um, we, we stopped at set apart, <laughs> right? We, we stopped at we don't sin, and you all do, kind of looking at the rest of the world. We're set apart. We don't smoke, cuss, or drink, or hang out with girls. That didn't rhyme. I don't know how that came out, but... You understand where that came from? We are set apart, and and we we wrongly, we tragically concluded at that point we are therefore holy, because at its root, holy means to be set apart or different. But we've so missed the boat if that's where we stop, because simply being set apart, that just makes you weird, right? It doesn't make you holy. It it just makes you really weird. If you're set apart and you're different from everybody else, just get used to it. People are going to look at you going, you're weird, dude but that's not all there is to it. We're not just set apart. We're not just set apart. Check this out. Hagios, um, meaning holy. Originally, the idea was being different and being separate, but not just set apart for being set apart's purpose, right? It's not an end. It's not a means to its own end, right? The goal isn't to be set apart. It's to be set apart for a task, Right? That, and that's the part we miss. We, we tend to just go, well, we're set apart. I'm good with that. No, we were set apart for a very specific, very, very, very specific task. And that's what the whole of chapter 17's prayer is about. Our task is to give witness to what Jesus Christ said. That's our task. Our feet are to carry the good news. That, that's what we're to be about. You're being set apart for a very specific task. We see this in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Right? So you're being set apart, not just to be put up on a shelf, dusted off occasionally. You're being set apart for a specific task. And the one serving this God <laughs> had better be, have the qualities of heart and mind and character for that task. Right? The one serving a good and wise God better be filled with goodness and wisdom. And the one serving this holy God better be holy. So not only are we being set apart for a specific task, but God equips us for that specific task. And, and that's huge. And, and how, does he, how does he do that, you ask? I heard you. That's good. Verses 2 and 3, again, it says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life, and to all those who you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. This is how he does it. This is how he equips us, by inviting us into the dance, inviting us to hang out with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you begin to hang out with those guys, and it, it changes you. 
It changes you. You can't hang out with them and not be changed. You begin to act like them. You become Christ-like. There's our word for holiness in our denomination. You hang out with those guys, you become like them. And it's not just hanging out with them. They are filling you with life. When you invite the Holy Spirit to fill you each morning, each afternoon, after every dumb thing you do, you know, refill me, refill me, fill me. That's the means by which you are being made holy. You have the life of God in you. It doesn't get any better than that. Again, eternal life is to step into and join the dance of the Trinity. Right? The joy of the dance brings life to that which was lifeless. Adam and Eve, the nation of Israel, they all failed to recognize that holiness was all about the dance. It wasn't about all the things that we need to stop doing in order to separate us. Rather than retreating into our ivory towers and excelling at nothing more than uh, confessing our sins, because that's, you know, if we're not going to go out and do something amazing, that's pretty much what we got left on the table for us to do is confess everything we did wrong. Jesus calls us from the safety of the porch. He reinterpreted the Levitical law of holiness as separation. He reinterpreted it as holiness as engagement. Levitical law was simply um, this world because God needed to teach the Israelites this lesson that they are being set apart. They're, they're holy because he's a holy God, and if they're going to worship him, then they need to be set apart. They need to be holy also. So they came up with this kind of this, this system of clean and unclean. It doesn't necessarily mean sin and not sin, okay? It's just certain things are clean, animals more than anything else in food, clean and unclean. And it was just this idea, Israelite people, that you are a people set apart from me, and the world is full of contamination, things that can mess you up and, and, and make you not fit for the task and, and the job that I've given you. So they, get, they developed this idea of clean and unclean. And the idea with the Levitical law is that um, when you're clean and you touch something unclean, you become unclean, right? Clean never wins. Unclean always wins. And so in order to worship in the community of a holy people, you cannot be unclean if there's any bodily discharge, anything like that, man, you had to hang outside the walls. You weren't even allowed amongst the people. And it's not that you were bad. It's just that God was teaching them something that they needed to understand, that they are a people set apart, but they never got the last part. It's set apart for a task, for something important to do. They just thought, well, we'll just be super, 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 super holy. And they got pretty good at it. It's like, God, no, you're supposed to be a blessing to all the other nations of the earth. You weren't supposed to hog it all for yourselves. And that, that's pretty much what they did, hogged it for all themselves. So how are we made clean? How are we equipped for the task? Again, I keep showing verses 2 and 3. This is eternal life that you know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to join the dance. We are never more of a holiness people than, we're, than when we are Dancing. I know that sounds really, really awkward for good Nazarenes, but if we look at that word dancing correctly, it's 
doing the things alongside God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working alongside them in their loving actions. We join them and we're filled with them and we experience real life as we give life to other people because we're a part of the dance. This place here, this church building, is simply a place where we get filled up. Right? This, this is the porch where... God doesn't want us hiding behind his legs like our oldest daughter. But at the same time, he doesn't want us running off the porch and, ah, I don't need you anymore, Shh, goodbye. It's like, no, you, you actually do need me. <laughs> you need me a lot, so keep checking in. A little drive-by kisses, you know. And for those who are hiding behind get off the porch. <laughs> get off the porch. There are people who need to hear love. They need to see love. They've heard it. Well, they've heard it a lot, but have they really seen it? That's what God is calling us to do. He has sanctified us for this purpose. So we have been set apart, but we have a task, and we've been equipped for that task. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We have the life of God in us. And as we walk out into that world, unclean loses Right? Where before, clean always lost. But from here on out, because we have the Spirit of God in us, everything we touch, unclean loses. That's what we were set apart for, to be cleaned up and sent back out to redeem the world, to bring life to that which is dead. That's exciting stuff. Let's bow your heads. I can fly off this stool here. Father, thank you so much for your son who, who came and, and, and in his personhood explained to you so well that we just, we just can't miss it anymore. We, we, there, there's nothing to blame, right? We, we see you, Jesus, and, and we see God. And if we have any questions about God, well, we have questions about you because you are God. And so, Father, this morning, anyone listening, our Jesus is praying for them, has never stopped praying for them. And maybe you're listening right now in the prayer that, that you resonated with, that you heard more than anything else is, protect me from the evil one. So, Father, protect that person from the evil one right now, whatever thinking that's causing there, and, and just protect them, Father. And maybe, maybe you're listening, and, and, and you're, you've been praying, Lord, take me out of the world. I don't like the world. Well, Jesus is praying the exact opposite for you. He wants you to jump back into the world, jump back into the game, roll up your sleeves. And maybe you've been praying, Father, I don't really like hanging out with the body. I don't like those people. I got to tell you this morning that Jesus is praying the exact opposite prayer for you, that you would find joy in this local body. Because when you do, our witness is strengthened and people will believe us. And then finally, you're praying, I, I just, I, I've been trying to do this all on my own, and Father, I need you to sanctify me. I need you to, to give me something specific to do, and, and then equip me, and I, and I won't complain. I, I promise you, just, I, I, I want to do something. So, Father, to that person right here this morning, um, by the power of your spirit and by the power of our email, show them all the different ways that they can serve here in the church or in the community. Uh, so, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you've been doing. Thank you, Jesus. Um, for just connecting everything together and, and holding it all together in love. Um, thank you, Father, for everything you do for us. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen.